Welcome to the Homegirls. Four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired, in real life on YouTube, and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO. Thanks for listening. We love you. We are here today with Beth Lowe, who is in Long Island with Exit Realty, and we are so excited to have her on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for inviting me. What's the weather like there today? Um, gloomy and, and cold. We can't seem to get like two nice days in a row around here, so a little chilly, like 50s. Bummer. We're all in Colorado, and we're finally starting to see a little spring summer, so we're very, very excited. So I have followed you for a long time on social media and actually really funny story. I'm, I'm pretty sure I messaged you about this on Facebook, but very randomly a few years ago, I happened to be sitting at a bar in Colorado and this very chatty fellow was sitting next to me on the bar stool and he was like, oh, we're just moving here from Long Island and I'm a title rep. And I said, oh, I follow a girl on social media there. Her name is Beth Lowe and I love her. And he was like, I know Beth. Just a very funny small world. So, uh, and of course he said that you're a badass, which is the truth. Oh, he's lucky. So, <laughs> Come track him down and go around. <laughs> so I would love, um, I know that you have a really powerful, inspiring story. I know that you're writing a book. So I would love to have you share as much as you're comfortable with us about that and just kind of your journey into the business and your journey into being a female entrepreneur. Okay. I mean, I think it's, the story becomes more relevant with everything we're kind of going through now. So back during the crash in 2007, eight, around there, I was married to a mortgage banker um, and I was working in like corporate retail product development in Manhattan. And um, in September of, I guess, 2008, like a lot of Americans, I found myself without a job. And it was, you know, heartbreaking. And I called my dad from uh, Penn Station, which is in New York City, and how you would get to and from New York City if you lived here. Um, and hysterically crying. And my dad is like, you have been miserable literally since you started working, since you graduated from college. So why don't you figure out what you want to be? and be it. And I was like, okay, dad, all right. And then you notice that my first call was to my father and not to my husband. So I get on the train. I have all of my stuff. I have to like beg him to come pick me up at the train station. Um, and then from there, my life kind of becomes very chaotic. Not because I didn't have a job, but because I saw what was really going on during the day when I was at my job in Manhattan from, you know, I would leave at seven and I would get home at seven or eight o'clock. So there was a very long time where Jake, um, my husband was all, all by himself or, you know, he told me he was, you know, trying to get a new job in the mortgage industry or he had a job or this was going on, that was going on. So now I'm home and I see that um, he was putting on a suit every day. So my dry cleaning bills are still ridiculous, but he wasn't going to work. He was going doctor shopping. And what that means is for people who have never been, um, in a relationship like this or know anyone who's an addict, he would go from doctor to doctor to doctor trying to get various painkillers 
whatever he could get from them, whatever prescriptions he could get. And that's what bas that's basically what he did all day. Um, he was charging them on my credit cards along with everything else. And, you know, I was clueless because I was in the city working. So now I'm home and things are just rapidly escalating into a really dangerous, bad situation. So I had to make a lot of decisions. And um, early in February of 2009, I had really just kind of reached my breaking point. He was, he had overdosed a few times, but nothing like deadly. Um, he, and he was just getting really violent. And um, I'm about 5'2 and like 135 pounds before coronavirus when I was eating and drinking all day. Um, so I'm, I'm little and he was 6'2 and 250 pounds. So really a very big like size difference there. So very, things could get very scary very fast, especially with someone as volatile as him. Um, so February 2nd, 2009, I found myself locked in my master bedroom in my apartment. I called my dad, I called one of my friends, and well, I emailed them, and I, call, and I emailed his parents letting him know that Jake needs help, more help than I can give him, I can't handle being married to him anymore, I need help, and I need, you know, I need to get out of here. And his parents wrote me back and told me I'm a liar, and that I'm the one with the drug problem. My dad wrote me back and said, here's my lawyer's information, and call me when you wake up. And my friend said, pack a bag and come stay with me. So I did that. I, you know, I waited to make sure he was passed out. I packed a bag of stuff and I kind of ran out to my car and I just sat in my car for like 20 minutes, hysterically crying. And I drove away. And what happened next was completely and utterly unexpected and chaotic, even more so. Um, he came to around three o'clock in the afternoon and he started calling me and I wasn't answering. He started calling me and calling me and calling me. And it just, the whole week, after that was just insane with him making threats, trying to get me to meet him places. Like he really lost control and he lost control of, his, of the credit card because I, I took the credit card away because we owed American Express $40,000. So I thought, you know, being the fact that neither one of us has a job, we should probably cut that. Um, the following Sunday, so it was only a week later, um, I woke up Monday morning with a million missed calls and I figured he had either crashed my car because I was trying to still get the car back and it turns out that he actually overdosed that night and he passed away and it was really a very weird feeling for me because at one on one hand this is someone I've known since high school and I'm married to him but on the other hand he's literally having me having me live in fear and very abusive, physically, mentally, emotionally, everything. So it's kind of like one of those moments where it's like, well, now, you know, what do I do? And, you know, I called my father, I called my sister. There's a whole crazy story with my sister, how she had a whole dream about this the night before. So that's like a whole other thing that I won't get into. Oh, um, my dad was, my dad and my sister were here with, by the end of the day. So they were, it was Monday. The two of them were here by, you know, seven o'clock Monday night. His parents didn't come till like Thursday. It was like the most ridiculous thing ever. And then from, you know, after the wake, after the funeral, I was a 31-year-old widow with basically no job <laughs> and like $200,000 in debt, a Mustang convertible that was stick shift that I couldn't even drive. So I didn't really have a place to live. I was living in, you know, in a friend's like illegal apartment in her house, which is something we have here. And I really got a wonderful blessing of the ability to start over with nothing left to lose. 
And I think, you know, for right now, I think a lot of people feel that way. And hopefully they're not as down and out as I was. But the power of having nothing left to lose is very magical. And I really took that and I, and I, I ran with it. And I said, well, I always wanted to be a real estate agent. And everyone's like, it's 2009. Um, are you sure? And, um, you know, my dad was a real estate broker growing up. So I had grown up in the business and I really, it was something I was very passionate about. So even before HGTV, me and my dad would watch this old house. Like this was just kind of like what I was mo the most interested in other than fashion, which is what I was doing prior. So took the test and then I, you know, I froze and I sat there and I was like, I can't, I, I can't do this. I don't have any money. I don't know what to do. I, you know, I can't do this. And then finally I was like, well, I'm not doing anything else. So let me, let me at least start doing this. What's, what, what's the worst that could happen? And um, I got a job with like a broker who was mostly doing foreclosures um, and he put me to work right away. And I sold a house literally at my first open house. Um, that was great. <laughs> it still took me like four more months to sell my second house, which was a mental, a mental battle with me, you know, so I didn't really know what I was doing. I wasn't really getting any training. I was just doing open houses. So finally, you know, I realized that I, if I was going to do this and I had sold about four or five houses, my first like six months. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I really need to, you know, go work in a different type of brokerage because this guy doesn't care about people. It goes kind of goes against everything that I value. So I did that and I went on a few interviews and I decided to pick Exit Realty, which like no one had even ever heard of because I just clearly love an uphill battle. <laughs> um, you know, but now we're like, we have so many, we have like 175 agents. We're like in the top like three or four out of all the offices in Suffolk County, Long Island. Um, and just to give you like a reference, we are like the third largest board in the country, um, Long Island Board of Realtors. We just merged with Hudson Gateway. We have like 40,000 um, agents in this area, which is insanity in itself. Um, and so then I really just started finding my way. I just started getting training. I started figuring out what to do. You know, I learned how to do short sales because that's what we were doing. I actually just found a Facebook memory the other day from 2014. And that was the first time I had a positive listing appointment conversation <laughs> where the people thought their house was worth less. And I got to tell them it was worth more for the first time in my career, which started in 2009. So it was, you know, it was a while till our market really bounced back around here. So I started doing that. I got, in, you know, I got involved with the board. I was YPAN president last year. I'm RPAC chair this year, which kind of not the best year to be our back chair because we're not really doing anything. Um, they picked, they put, put me in that role because of my party planning ability. So I'm kind of like, I'm stumped right now. Um, and that's kind of, that's my, that's my story. You know, I had to overcome a lot of things along the way. It didn't just go from, okay, my husband died. And then I started selling, you know, my first full year at exit was 27 houses that, you know, didn't happen without a lot of hard work, without a lot of sleepless nights. I ended up, um, starting getting really sick and really skinny and no one knew why. And it turned out um, that for my 33rd birthday, I got type, type one diabetes, which was a beautiful, beautiful gift on top of everything else I was going through. But you know what? I just, I kept going and I went from, you know, sleeping on a friend's couch to my own illegal one bedroom apartment to a two bedroom apartment in a building that I went on to represent, you know, for years until my company stopped doing rentals to my own, my own home that I bought all by myself and I renovated it and I'm still 
you know, I love this house and I'm always doing something to it if you follow me on social media. So, you know, it's just, I always had a, a battle or something to overcome. So for me, you know, being home right now for like the virus, I've been home since March 17th. Um, to me, it's just, an, it's just an, another thing to get through. And I, you know, it's some days I watch TV all day and some days I repaint my entire house all day. It's just, you know, I don't, I give myself a lot of forgiveness along the way in terms of how to deal with things. And, you know, I try to try and keep myself busy because if I'm busy, then I, I tend to be happier because I'm used to being very busy. So we talk a lot about wondering where drive comes from. And I think that the conclusion that the four of us have kind of come to is that most people who are extremely driven or extremely passionate or extremely successful have something in their story that they've really had to push past. Um, and like you, you nailed it perfectly. I've always said you can train, coach, and teach anybody to do anything, but what you can't train into somebody is hunger. And when you come from nothing or you're in a really bad place, which all of us, all five of us have been at some point, um, you're exactly right. When you have nothing left to lose, you really go for it. Um, but a lot of people don't. I mean, a lot of people let that story become their story for the rest of their entire lives. So what would you say if there, you know, people that listen to our show are a lot of women, but people from all walks of life, what would you say to somebody who's going through that hard time right now and either wants to quit or isn't even sure about starting how to try? I mean, I think it really all starts with your, with your head, with your, with your mental, you know, with your mental mind state every day. And like, even like, I don't really let myself get to a negative place because when I see myself start to go there, I automatically go back. And even like the other day, I was, I was upset about something and I'm like, you have food, you have money. And I just do like a little quick little list. And I, it usually happens when I'm driving. So it's like not really driving as much as I used to. It's kind of putting a damper on it. I look like I'm talking to myself around my house all day. Um, but you know, you have a beautiful house, you have a roof over your head, you have money, you have toilet paper, you have paper towels, you have food, you have this, you still have yeah, that deal fell apart, but you still have this deal, this deal, and this deal, and you're going to get through it, and you're going to, you know, everything's going to be okay, and I just keep telling myself, it's going to be okay, and if I, if the mental list isn't enough, then I tend to make a paper list, and then I'll, you know, I'll make a spreadsheet. I'll do whatever I have to do to just kind of keep myself from really sliding, you know, down that, that path, because I think, yeah, once you do kind of go down that road, it is, it is hard to get yourself back from it, and it really is a lot of talking to yourself, and a lot of coaching yourself and a lot of, you know, looking for the positives, even when it seems like, you know, there aren't any and, you know, not every day is going to be easy and not, and it, you have to really learn from those days and, and then you, you can appreciate what you have. Like I appreciate what I have. I don't take what I have for granted at all. You know, I appreciate it every single day and I appreciate having a second chance in life to even, to, you know, to get to this point. And I appreciate all the bad things that I had to go to because if you knew me prior to this, if you knew me back when I was 20, 21, 22, or even prior to that, when I went to the University of Colorado, had my dad buy me a condo and dropped out, I was a spoiled, entitled brat that I didn't, and I did not even like myself that much. I was just very entitled, very spoiled, typical um, Long Island kind of girl that you would picture from watching horrible shows about us on TV. <laughs> and I really, you know, took the opportunity to say like, okay, 
I don't like myself and this is what I can do to change it. And sometimes it, you know, unfortunately it takes hitting rock bottom and a huge tragedy to do so. But you know, my dad didn't bail me out when this all happened. And believe me, I, I asked him to bail me out multiple times and he would always tell me, you can find a way. And I truly believe that you can find a way. Like I had Mercedes calling me trying to repo my car and I called my dad and I was like, they're gonna come take my car. And if they take my car, I can't work. And he's like, why don't you call them? Tell them you have a closing coming up. Tell them when you can pay them and I bet they'll work with you. So instead of sitting there going, they're gonna come take my car, they're gonna come take my car, they're gonna come take my car and being stifled by that, I would call them, make an arrangement and I would get back on with my day because that's what you have to do. You know, I, you know, this deal fell apart, this deal, okay, that's great. That deal fell apart, go get two more. Like, that's it, you can't, and I see that happen with people so often where one little thing that now destroys their whole day, their whole week, their whole month. And when it's just, you just gotta get past it and find a solution around it. And nothing's gonna act like, unless you get sick and die from this virus, I'm pretty sure you're gonna be okay. And that, that's the reality of it. You know, it's, it's really scary right now, but there's so many things you can do to make yourself stay positive. And you know, for me, I think about, I'm never gonna have time like this again. I've never spent so much time in my house. It's great. And I'm sure in three months, I'm never going to be home again and I'm going to miss it. But you really have to focus on, you know, what I can do to keep myself going. So I would like to touch on your background a little bit. You know, we interview a lot of top dogs in the industry and we pretty much hear the same thing over again where they came from. It was either a divorce or the market crashed but for you, it was a little, it's a little bit unique because it involves drugs. And I don't want to go to the negative aspect of this, but there's a lot of real estate agents out there. And there's a lot of people out there that listen to us that have dealt with drugs that are still dealing with drugs that are still trying to get out of it. And makes me wonder with your past and how you came from it, have you thought about maybe doing a nonprofit to help people um, that have been on drugs or have you, are you a part of anything right now? What are you giving your money to and your time to right now? Is there anything extra that you do? Um, for me, I actually, I don't really focus on what happened with Jake and his huge drug problem. Um, I focus on what happened with my mother. I lost my mom um, right actually before all this happened in 2004 to leukemia and to uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I'm very involved with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, which you know does a lot with pediatric cancer, and that's really where I focus my attention on because it's something that is, was even more near and dear to me than my heart. And you know, if if I ever took the the step to help people in that situation, I would really try and focus on helping the women. Who are married to people who are addicted to drugs because I was never a drug addict and sometimes my sympathy for it is is coming from a different place because it's coming from a place of you know how this affected me which I think that's really something that we don't focus on enough is 
the other victims of the drug addict and what it does to their children and what it does to their families and what it does to, you know, the people that care about them. And, you know, those people, I think, tend to get lost in the shuffle of, oh, you're not, you're not being sympathetic enough to them. You're not doing this. And, you know, me being sympathetic to him was enabling him. And, you know, all of those things that I did trying to like help him and be nice by giving him my credit card and a car to drive and this, this and that just enabled him to, to accelerate his demise even faster. And, you know, it's very sad and it's a very sad cycle that people get hooked on. And, you know, it's the same story over and over again. He got into a car accident, he hurt his neck, he got painkillers from the doctor, blah, blah. I mean, it's, it's the biggest cliche story out there. I mean, I'm sure we all know multiple people that got hurt and got hooked on painkillers. For me, my body hates them and rejects them. And I just sit there and start itching, which I don't know if that's like a mental thing that I've developed. It could very well be, but there's, I guess they're so easy to get addicted to and they're so easy to get. Um, or hopefully they're trying to not make them as easy to get anymore. I just had to sign something crazy at the doctor about how I wouldn't even ask for them, <laughs> which is a guess is definitely a sign of the times. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of women out there that suffer silently through this and, you know, don't really have a place to turn. So that would, you know, that could definitely be something that I would look into in the future. I like personally have never met somebody where everything that's come out of your mouth, I have been like, that's my life. That's my life. That's my story. Mine was prison and, and not, not death, but I mean, it, it all ends the same way. My grandmother died in 04 of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Like, oh my God. Like everything sitting here listening to you. It's like talking to my cousins in, in the city. Like everything you're saying right now, I'm like, oh my God, it's my life. And she's like talking to family. And I like, your story is incredible. And thank you for being so transparent and so candid about what happened. Cause I think that there's a lot of, um, for me, I guess I can't speak for everyone. For me, there's a lot of guilt almost around it. Like you weren't the one you couldn't fix this. Cause as women we're fixers and to sit here and say like, it's, it's not my fault and it's not my problem. I mean, it's my problem as much as I want it to be my problem. And I kind of did the same thing you did where I just couldn't be my problem anymore. And I had to get on with my life and do what was right for me and my son. Um, <clears throat> with all of that said, what does your business look like now? Well, the year started off really great. <laughs> really on track started off great for all of us. You know, I was on track to definitely have my best year ever. And I am definitely, you know, focused on right now. My biggest focus on, is just on keeping everybody calm, keeping my deals that I have together. You know, I've had one closing so far since this whole thing happened. I should have two this month and, you know, two in June. And then I hope they let us out. So, I, you know, I have lists of people who, you know, we're trying to get, look at videos and we're trying to do virtual tours and sellers are leaving and letting buyers in by themselves, which is like a whole other crazy thing. And we're, we're really, we're not allowed to do in-person showings here. So like I, even with masks and gloves and a hazmat suit, I'm not allowed to physically be in front of a client right now. So it's really a complete adjustment. And I never even worked from home. Um, the first three days I was home, I was trying to use my laptop and it was so frustrating because I hate laptops in general. They just, it's not what I use on a regular basis. Drove to my office, grabbed my desktop. And now that I have it set up at home, it's like I can actually work a lot better here and I'm starting to appreciate being home, even though as much as I love my dog, he's a whiny 
little boy. <laughs> so he like, <laughs> cries and whines like all day long. So I'm adjusting to him at being home and, you know, I'm cleaning my own house now, which is not something I've ever done before. And I realized that my cleaning lady has never once moved a piece of furniture in the six years that I've lived here. So the first couple of weeks was just a lot of cleaning. And I'm, you know, I'm really trying to now kind of get myself back into the flow of working because I think by June 1st, I think they might start to let us do things. So I'm just trying to get myself back into like a routine of doing my searches for my buyers because I really like to be the one who drives the, you know, the property search. I, I do use like automatic search engines and stuff, but I like to just every day just kind of go through to see what was listed mm -hmm. because, you know, technology is great. And I know everyone thinks we're going to be using so much more of it, but we need to also have, you know, human brain power in there too. So, you know, I'm kind of just right now getting ready for when they, you know, when they let us back out. I'm very excited <laughs> that it might come soon. You know, I'm buying pretty masks to wear with my dresses for the summer. Um, you know, but it's just, just kind of keeping in touch with everybody. I wrote handwritten note cards to my entire database. That took the first five weeks that I was home. I'm not used to writing that much. It actually was quite <laughs> painful. Um, but you know, I got a lot of really nice feedback on that and people reached out and let, let me know how they were doing too. You know, just trying to really keep in touch with everyone the same way I would have normally done. I don't wanna, you know, change necessarily who I am and the way I do business because the mm -hmm. environment around me is changing. I'm kind of a little old fashioned in a lot of ways where I do a lot of mailings and I send a lot of note cards and I send my clients um, Starbucks gift cards that I have branded with my name and information on it. And people look forward to these things. So I just wanted to make sure there was still gonna be a continuity in my business of what I always did and how I always did it. So you're mostly referral, I would guess? Mostly, I would say referral, mostly referral from past clients and same clients sell, buying and selling over and over again, which is a huge part of my business now. So you've been licensed since 09? 09, so July will be my 10th year with Exit. So, so in, what did your numbers look like last year? Like how many deals, did, how many closings did you have last year? Probably like 35 last year. Last year was like honestly my worst year ever. It's normally closer to like 50. Um, this year I also, I'm selling way higher price things even though it's, I haven't sold anything this month. Oh, it's only in May 6. Um, but you know, I really, I do a lot of like buy sell transactions now. So every deal is like two deals in one. So um, last year, yeah, it was probably like 30, 35 closings. This year I was definitely on track to do probably 25 million just by myself. It's just me. I don't have an assistant anymore. So I just, it's just me. No team, just me. Oh my God, we're like the same person. <laughs> It's weirding me out, actually. We are super alike. Like, it really is super weird. I actually think I could do more if I work from home a little bit more and, like, don't transition back to working out of an office because I feel like I have a good rhythm here. So I'm going to be making a lot of changes, like, in a positive way. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm going to work from home a lot more because I can easily get to places from my house. Like, if I have to run out and show houses, I'm very centrally located. So, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just me. I don't have any plans to change that either. I had an assistant, but I don't, I don't really need one. One of my like very favorite things about you is how vocal and real you are. 
Like, I don't know how, like, so we talk about this all the time on our show. And that was one of the big missions behind our show in general was breaking down the ego and getting to the reality of all these people that we idolize because like we model our lives and our businesses after all these people and we really know nothing about them. And what well, we know what they, what they tell us. And then it's like, yeah, I can't even tell you how many like, top producing agents I saw crying over not getting a $1,200 stimulus check. And I'm like, are you lying about your production or are you lying to the government on your taxes? Because <laughs> this doesn't really make any sense to me. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, but it's so true. And you're so real. And that's what I love about you so much. Like, like you will say, I had a horrible year. I had my best year ever. I'm not having a good time. I am ha like, there's no bullshit with you. And I just think that that's absolutely amazing. Um, I wanted to ask, are you still in the tribe? With no. Okay. Okay. So then we won't talk about that. And I'll pull that Let's out. skip that subject. Yeah. I, um, I get Buffini coaching. I mean, if you want to, you can talk about leaving it, but I was going to ask because, and I'll edit this out, but like, I remember you, ha I sound like a creepy stalker. I remember you having a year where you were like, it was a really bad year. And then I got into my coaching program and then I had my best year ever. So I guess maybe just talk about that. That is true for sure. Um, I think whenever I've had my best years, I've had a coach. So I've been coached by Jared James. Mm -hmm. I was in the tribe and now I have a Buffini coach. So for me, um, having accountability is very important, even if I don't like the person that I'm being held accountable by. So my decision to leave that group was, had nothing with anything, like some of the behavior that I saw, and it wasn't something that I wanted to, to be around any further. Um, I got into the Buffini coaching um, towards the end of last year in 2009, and for me, that's just been very in line with what I already do. So it wasn't like a huge start, you know, over, like I'm a big believer in like learning about a bunch of different stuff and finding out what works for you. Like there's people who love to knock on doors. That's not going to be me. There's people who love to cold call. Also not going to be me. And thank God, because we're not even illegally allowed to cold call in the state of New York right now. So for me, it's always been referral, whether it's referral from other agents across the country or referral from people who think they know me on Facebook <laughs> or uh, people who do know me, people who've worked with me in the past, um, other professionals that I work with, um, you know, my attorney, New York is an attorney state. So, um, you know, obviously I refer them, they refer me back, you know, various people I've met along the way refer me uh, right now. My, my childhood dentist is my client. You know, I really, I, I connect with people and I try to stay connected with them once I connect with them. So that's kind of in line with Buffini. So for me, the Buffini system is just really working for me right now and takes a lot of the guesswork out of what I need to be doing, which gives we me just more time be allows me to have an assistant. <laughs> We just became BFFs. They're also going to be just another weirdo stalker on Facebook. Okay, Jessica. We, Jessica's my fake name when I'm out at um, bars and I don't want to tell the guys my real name. I'm Veronica because it's easy to remember because it ends in ICA like Jessica does. Oh my God. We are really are related somehow. <laughs> you guys are funny. Um, Kristen, do you have a question? No, I already asked it. Oh, okay. So I want to ask, this is kind of a weird one. Um, but this is a big thing for me personally. So you came from nothing. You had a lot of struggles. 
life was really legitimately crazy hard and tough. And now you're a single woman and you're beautiful and you're smart and you're successful. You own your own home. You wear the cutest clothes I've ever seen in my life. You know, like you're, for me, I, and I'm trying to think of how to even say it. Like I have a problem with now at my, this point in my life, like saying that I'm successful. So I feel really weird about the fact that I drive a nice car or that I live in a nice home or that I could buy a nice pair of shoes if I wanted to, or that, um, you know, I bought something nice for myself and you just like, you own everything about you. And I love that. But has it ever been a fear that maybe you would alienate yourself from people because you've gone from here to here now? Like, I don't know why I worry about that so much, but I constantly think that if I show people that I'm successful and I've made it, they won't want to be near me or work with me anymore. And it's a huge mental block for me. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't agree with you. I think you can totally be yourself and show people who you are. Um, you know, over the years, I definitely shifted friends and had to shift, you know, who I hang out around and what I do because yes, I've always, I've been told I'm intimidating. I've been told I uh, scare men away. I've been told, you know, all kinds of things. I, I also attract people who are looking to use me for things. And, you know, over really the past like two years, my circle has gotten very smaller. Most of my friends I've either known since high school or are in the business and we're all very similar and we, we share these same, you know, fears with each other and we have the same issues going on. So, you know, for me, you know, I am who I am and I worked really hard to get here and I'm not gonna, you know, I've had guys ask me like, oh, you live in that house by yourself? Yeah, I'm 43 now. Of course I live in this house by myself. I don't have a roommate. Like, this is like insanity. Like. You know, but I'm, I'm not embarrassed about who I am and I'm not embarrassed about what happened to me and I'm not embarrassed about anything that's happened to me in my life. Um, I own it. If someone doesn't like me because of it, then that says more about them than it does about me. And, um, you know, unfortunately, they're probably just not meant to be in my life because I do like to surround myself with, with people. And I'm always very open to helping newer agents who are just getting started. You know, I had a lot of friends who were newer in the business who, you know, I'll help them with even the most, you know, silly things about a deal that you've, you know, we, we take for granted that we all know and just do. And, you know, I'm happy to take time and help people. And I'm happy um, to really show people that you can be successful and you don't have to be embarrassed by it or feel that, you know, people aren't going to like you because of it. Because if someone doesn't like you because you're successful, they probably weren't going to like you because you weren't successful. You know, it's like, well, they just don't like you. Yeah, and it's such a catch-22 because, like, I've talked about this, too. Like, then things will happen where I miss opportunities because I don't tell people who I am. Like, I, I'm, I don't know if it's an ego thing that I'm afraid of having an ego or if it's that I'm afraid that I'll lose people because now I'm successful because I really came from nothing or what it is. But, you know, then I lose opportunities where I go, I'm better, faster, smarter and the right person for this, but I'm overly, like humble is a bad word, but overly quiet about my success. And so nobody looks at me and gives me opportunities because I don't present myself as successful. And I love how just 
open you are. Like you just are you and you're very proud of it. And I look up to that a lot. Oh, thank you. So what do you, when you start getting into a negative mindset, what do you tell yourself? Do you have like a routine? What do you do? I usually make myself list out all the things that I'm thankful for and all the good things that are going on. And then if that doesn't work, I just keep saying over and over again, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. So if you see me driving down the street and I'm talking to myself, that's, that's what I'm doing. Um, you know, I just, I just try and remind myself of all of the good things, because like I said before, it's easy to really focus on like, oh my God, I can't believe that deal fell apart. That was $20,000 in commission. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And, and then somebody calls you and you don't answer the phone because you're, you're having, you know, your, your pity party for yourself. And that person wanted to list, you know, a $2 million house. And now you didn't take the call. Now they didn't leave you a message and they just called the next person on their list because they're very busy too. And they don't have time. So it's like, you really have to, you know, I allow myself to like grieve things and deal with things that happen. But I also like, I don't allow myself to let me get to a point where, you know, a deal fell apart. And now, you know, I've seen it at the office where now the agent's sitting there like, and all they want to do is bitch about everybody involved and whose fault it is and who's this it is and who's that it is. And I'm like, can I know who the bank was? Cause I never want to use them. I want to make sure they're on my list. And okay, now like get back to work, go do what you do. Like, this is what, you know, this happens. And I've accepted, I don't know if I've accepted that bad things happen as part of life. I don't know if that's like the right way to say it, but like things happen. Shit happens. You have to get on with it. You know, days are going to be, you know, shitty. If you told me on March 1st that I was going to be home from March 17th to June 1st, I probably would have blown a gasket, had a complete meltdown, stopped my foot around, freaked out. And now I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. It's going to be okay. I wake up in the morning, I remind myself, like, you're not going anywhere. You're not supposed to leave the house. <laughs> There's a virus, right? Okay. All right. Now let's like move on. Let's figure out what we're going to do today to be productive. And, you know, I still think that no matter, even when something bad happens, you've got to just find, you know, yeah, the way to move yourself forward through it, or you're going to be stuck there forever. Right. And that's not going to make it better. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're true. So what do you do on the side? Like when you take real estate out of it and you're out of your house, like what do you do for fun? What, what relaxes you? Like probably my biggest hobby is going up and down the aisles at home goods and going <laughs> through the sale rack at Bloomingdale's. Yeah. But I she also really wanted to go to Bloomingdale's yesterday. And I really like had my first little like pity party for myself. And I'm like, all I want to do is go to Bloomingdale's and go through the racks right now. And then I'm like, well, you're not even going. <laughs> don't need to I, I posted on Facebook the other day that all I want is to go wander the aisles at home guides and touch soft blankets and smell all the candles. Like, is that too much to ask right now? The answer I, would, I would love like to have a full card at home goods right now, taking things in and out and touching it. <laughs> yep. Touching all the things and yeah. Smelling the candles and touching the blankets is what I miss. Yeah, that's like, that's what I like. If I have like an afternoon off and it's not a summer afternoon, which like is different because it's the summer, I have a pool, I'll lay by my pool. But if it's like a day like this, it's cloudy, it's gloomy. Um, yeah, I like to go hunting for clothes or home stuff. Centerpieces. That's what I need right now. I need a new centerpiece for me. I can tell myself I need anything. <laughs> I, can convince myself I need all the things right now is actually what I need. 
I'm trying to just like buy stuff off of Amazon to kind of like. It's not the same it's thing. It's not the same. Like it's, it's not the I, same. Half the time I'm disappointed and I'm like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I went to Walgreens and I spent, I'm not even joking, like $250 on like oil of Olay bullshit just to be able to buy and I was like, oh, look, this has pretty packaging. Oh, look, like I'm never, it's going to go in the trash can and I'm never going to use it. But I think shop loss is like a real thing. I'm really feeling right? it's a real thing. Yeah. Like, right? it's, so, it's what I do. So it's like, I just, I like, yeah, I, I like have no hobbies shopping. except eating and home goods. Those are my only hobbies. I've just, yeah, then my other hobbies include going out with my friends and drinking wine. So it's like, exactly. I drink wine at home by myself. It's not really. It's kind of in, we're in trouble, Beth. <laughs> what has happened with your market right now? With everything being on hold and not being able to show, what in, is going on? I mean, we're finding ways here and there. Um, you know, I have. I had a buyer look at something that the seller left the house and let them in but we're not even like allowed to arrange that. Like we have to give them each other's numbers to arrange it. Um, business is happening, but it's not anywhere near anything normal. What I think is going to happen is the minute that they let us out, there's going to be all this pent up demand because what we're seeing is people don't want to live in New York city right now. They've been cooped up in apartments that would literally fit in my living room. They're like 400, to like maybe if you have an 800, 900 square foot par apartment in Manhattan, you have a huge apartment. So like, that's insanity. Like I'm pent up in my 2,800 square foot house and I'm even like, I don't know, I had to convert the garage into a gym. I don't even have any extra space around here. So I can't imagine like literally living in a one car garage, which is like kind of what they're doing. So we're seeing a lot of people want to move out to Suffolk County, which is the goes Manhattan, Queens, Nassau County, Suffolk County. Suffolk County is where the Hamptons is. Um, so we're seeing people want to move this way. And, you know, we're not really seeing, I don't think prices are going to go down. I know people don't want to hear that, but we're still going to not have enough inventory for all the buyers that we have, especially in like the 450, which is still relatively low price point here. So like 650, I think is going to be, continue to be very tight as it has been. My focus right now is I have a lot of buyers that are even lower than that, that are kind of lower than 400. So if I can get them to go look at something or send them a video, or I'm really kind of focused on getting them into a house because I think once we're allowed back out, those houses are gonna be very, 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 very hard to come by. Um, and then I think you know we're gonna really see a lot of pent up demand and we're not gonna see prices drop here, which like I said, no, no one, in the public wants to hear that but okay. i'm just i don't i don't see it happening because i still think there are going to be people who are scared to list right away there's mm -hmm. always going to be people be people that have to sell um so i really think there's people at home right now that hate their houses there's people at home right now that hate their spouses <laughs> i think you know a lot of things are gonna are gonna come out of this and i think it's gonna be good for real estate and i think that'll help drive the economy right back on track because unlike the last crash where real estate kind of drove the economy down, I think now real estate is going to be what saves the economy. And I'm still seeing contractors aren't fully allowed to work, but I'm still seeing a lot of contractor trucks around the neighborhood in general, which I always take as a very good sign that people are working on their houses because mm -hmm. I think 
the hierarchy of, of needs. Like I'm not going to re-landscape my house if I don't have, you know, money to feed my family. So, you know, I think I see a lot of positives and I think our economy is going to come back just as strong, if not actually stronger, because I think it'll probably be based a little bit more in reality and not so much on smoke and mirrors of, you know, Wall Street. I think it'll be a solid market truly built on the housing market, which really should be the thing driving the, the whole You're economy. really like in the epicenter of the whole financial world in the United States. So like- our Look at the epicenter of everything. Everything bad happens here. <laughs> So I have a nine-year-old son and we geek out on action movies and that's what he always says. He's like, mom, why is it always New York City? (laughs) (laughs) Like, since I've been in college, we had 9-11, we had the Superstorm Sandy, we had the market crash, and now we're the epicenter of of coronavirus. So it's like, I would like a break. (laughs) I would like something bad to like happen someplace else for once. All right, Wes. So I can send a check and be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry this happened to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But how are people's, like, because you are at the epicenter of that, like, financial stuff for the whole country, like, how are people's mindsets? Do people feel similarly to you? That's how we feel here, that things will rebound and come back up, but then you've got the doom and gloom. So do you think most people are in that line of thinking? Um, Most people I talk to, think along my lines. Um, of course, there's always the doom and gloom people I've had to follow, unfollow, I'm sorry, a lot of them off of Facebook because I don't want to hear it. Just like two years ago, everyone was saying the real estate market was going to crash, the real estate market was going to crash. And I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to hear it because what you hear, what you speak, you know, it becomes reality. And if I don't listen to it, it's not my reality. That's kind of like what I did when I started and everyone's like, oh my God, the real estate market is so bad. You're never going to make it. And I'm like, what's so bad about it? I, I sold a house today. I, I don't see anything bad about it because I wasn't in the business in 2004, five and six. So like, I didn't really have anything to compare it to. I thought selling a house was hard and I had to work hard at it. Like the past couple of years, all people have had to do is like take a shitty picture with their iPhone and put it on MLS and be like, oh my God, I had 4,000 people at my open house today. It was amazing. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not reality. And that's going to change. And that's, we probably won't even be allowed to do open houses here. I, no. I don't even see them letting us do open houses, which is fine because I don't. We're not them. allowed to do them. <laughs> and if I don't ever have to go to a closing again, also fine because <laughs> I will save a lot of time. I mean, I do miss like saying congratulations to my clients, but like we're not allowed to go to closings right now. So it's like, all right, send me the check. <laughs> right? right? What else can I do? You know, it's like they just make us sit in the corner anyway. Like I just play on my phone. Like I. You know, I could be doing something productive right now. It's more time for again. shoe shopping. <laughs> I, could be doing I could be cleaning my pool. I could be doing Clients never listen to this, but yes. No, they know I love them. And I'll say congratulations at the walkthrough and then go on my way. But yeah, it's- just, I feel like you're also, um, and this is like a compliment, so I hope that you take it that way. But I feel like you're definitely a homegirl because- I feel like you're also a shit talker. So you'll be one of those, like the rest of us. Like Jess is really good about this. I, I, I just need everybody to be happy all the time. So I can't do it as much, even though I say it just on quieter channels, but like, I will see you blast bad real estate agents, bad things, bad stuff like that. Have you ever had like any, anything really bad come out of that before? Like a client get pissed off? An agent no, get- my clients actually like, they love, they love that I'm like a, a fighter like that. You know, like 
they love that I go and like I lobby like yesterday would have been lobby day here and I would have been normally up in Albany you know fighting for you know our home ownership rights and like I think my clients appreciate that about me and I think a lot of people I mean if you don't like it about me then you have to wonder why you wouldn't want someone standing up for you because that's what you know that's really who I've always been like even when this whole thing happened and they tried to make us like full-on essential workers and they wanted to send us out here on like the fifth day of the virus hitting New York and I, got, I stood up for that and you know it, I got people from across the country reached out to me not even just people in the industry just people who saw what I was saying and they saw like I had given an interview and curbed I don't even know what that is but they did a really nice article um that was all in my own words which was so weird to read <laughs> But, you know, people, because I, I just, this is how I speak, so it's weird to read it back. Um, but I've always kind of stood up for the underdog or something that I've always felt was wrong, um, because I do have a platform to say it. And if I think something's wrong, and if I think you're doing something that isn't right, you know, I'm trying to get nicer about it, but I kind of will will call you on it a little bit, you know, and now in a little slightly nicer way. But, like, yeah, I used to get really, really mad about things, because I don't really like, I don't really like people who do things that they shouldn't, especially that hurt people, that hurt buyers, that, you know, clearly they only care about what their own commission check is going to be and not what's right for their clients. So I'm kind of excited about the clear co cooperation, you know, law that just took effect because we were seeing a lot of that here where someone would take a listing, they'd only put it on Zillow, and then they'd give you a really hard time about trying to get your buyer in. So I'm glad that the industry is evolving a little bit. And I, you know, I try and always do what I think is, is right. And sometimes people don't like it when you do the right thing. What can you say? You're I always super say active though. Like you're on all the boards and you do all the things. And I love that because I think a lot of times they're, you know, everybody just like, they want to bitch all day long about what's wrong and what isn't right. But you've actually gotten out there and you're making change in all those organizations, which is amazing. Thank you. I don't know how you have time for all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be busy. <laughs> That's crazy. What is it like to work? So we're similar. Um, we have like in our metro area, we have about 30,000 licensed real estate agents. So we actually have more agents than we have deals that happen every year. So it's even more competitive there though. What is that like? You know, our stats run the same. So 50% of the agents here don't close one deal then like the next 20% do like three to four and then next 20% do a little bit more. And really, you know, the top 10% of agents are doing like 90% of the business. So mm -hmm. for as much as it is like a huge group, it's like a very, it's a very small group when you're actually out there working and people do, you know, tend to know you and tend to, you know, um, at least know your name or have some kind of recognition when you're doing a decent amount of business. So, you know, it, it's interesting. And I think, what well, I think what we're going to see come out of this is I think we're going to lose, not the people who do zero deals, because I don't think that anything, I guess they just like to pay their MLS dues and take CE credit. I don't know. Um, but I think you're going to, we might start to really lose the people who, you know, did the one or two or three or four deals a year because it's, this is a tough business. And, you know, I think it should be a full-time business because if you're a full-time agent and, you know, the past couple of years, you've had some, a part-time agent call you and they're like, hi, I really can't talk, but they want to do the appraisal tomorrow at 12. I, I have to be at my other job. So I was hoping you could 
you could do the appraisal. Oh, I'm, I'm so, I'll have to call you back. My boss is coming. And I'm like, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> like, sure, let me do everything for you. Right. You get your health insurance paid and your, and your pension from your other job. I'll do your entire job for you. And then you show up at the closing and you, you'll get the same paycheck I'm getting that I have to then turn around and pay all of those expenses out of. So I think that we're going to see, I hope we see a shift in what, you know, what we have in the industry as far as people go, because, you know, I don't think the general public realizes that when they're hiring somebody, I don't think that they know necessarily that they're not getting the best service possible because this person has a prior commitment that they can't just like walk out and leave. And you know what, that's fine. You know, if that's your job, that's your job. But you, a lot of us took the leap and like I bartended when I first started. So like I would sell real estate all weekend and sling drinks all night. Like I didn't rest because I, I knew I wanted to make it in this business. And I knew the only way to make it was to not have another job and to have this be my, my full-time job. And I know it's hard and I know people want to make it, but I think, you know, after you know, three or four years, if you're still not able to transition to being a full-time agent, maybe it's something that, you know, we need to think about a little bit. And I think this whole situation is, is going to show people that, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I need more stability in my life because I even still have months where I don't close anything. And I make sure that I always save my money just in case that that happens. And, you know, luckily that outlook is why I'm able to stay home right now and be like, okay, this is what it is. And I'm just going to get through it because I was in a good position to start. So if you weren't in a good position to start and you're only kind of selling one or two deals a year, like, I don't know. I mean, I think there's probably more stable jobs out there that'll definitely make you more sane, you know, because I think even if you're doing this part-time, I think you're still putting in a lot of hours. They're just not during the day when we need your help to, um, you know, you're still probably running around all weekend. So it's like, even if you're only selling three or four houses a year, you know, I think it's, it's, this is a tough job. And I think people see it very glamorized on TV and everyone makes it look so easy. And it's definitely not as easy as it looks. It's not as easy as I make it look on Facebook either. Thank you. That's what I say all the time. Are you ever the dick that looks up your competitors' numbers and sends them to your clients? Because if I'm that girl, like if I know I'm competing against somebody, I'll pull that. I've up. never done that, but I will. Like my mortgage guy will always like call me, like this agent, look up her numbers, and then I'll like look it up and I'll be like, oh, this is why you're having a problem. This is. I'll put it into like a pretty email though. Be like, oh, that's, that's I'd like to see a sample of that. That would just, here's um, my <clears throat> here's I know I'm up against these two other agents for your listings, and I'm a full time agent, and they haven't closed a deal in two years. Who do you want to hire? <laughs> call me back. <laughs> call, call me back. I like that. <laughs> Give your girl a call. Oh, you. Just say no. I have to ask. You know, I have to ask. Have you worked with any of the big? celebrity TV realtor guys. No, <laughs> I don't even think they really sell houses. <laughs> That's what I thought too. I really don't think they do. I've like, I've heard Ryan Sarhan speak and I've met Josh Altman, but like, I know they don't, I know that Josh doesn't really sell houses anymore. And like, they just really like sell books and speaking arrangements and that kind of stuff. But yeah, most of the agents that I deal with are just norm normal people like us around our age out there working hard and hustling. And all of my friends are really involved with the board. You know, we try and 
you know, not just be the people that sit back and complain, but really be the people that go out there and try and make a difference and change things for the better. I love it. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I've been a big fan of you forever, and I know people will listen to this and get a lot out of it. So thank you so much for spending thank your time. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank and you I for hope... being open. Yes, and I hope that uh, the situation in New York and where you are turns around quickly and things get better fast me because too. you guys have been going through it. Yeah. So sending scary. you guys lots of love. And I'm oh, so excited I met a new best friend today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlsco.